0: We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in God and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has nothing to do with punishment or fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well,
1: howdy folks, how we doing? Good, hey, glad you're here. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, let's turn to the book of 1 John, the passage that Jay just read from. Uh, We are going to be in 1 John this morning, uh, roughly in chapters 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3 of 1 John. Well, we are going to wrap up our sermon series, New Year, uh, New Love, this morning, and uh, move on from here. But uh, our sermon this morning is called The Test of Love, The Test of Love from 1 John, Selected Verses. Let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the morning. We pray that you would be with us as we sit and read from your word, as we hear from you through your word. Uh, We pray that you would help our hearts to be open and receptive to it. Father, in particular, as we wrap up this sermon series on the utter significance of loving one another as Jesus has loved us, so we should love one another, and what that means and uh, what it signifies for our relationship with you. Father, speak clearly uh, through your word, we pray, in the name of Christ, so that you may be glorified and that we may be given joy. We ask in the name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. So I want to ask a a question this morning. Uh, What has been your very worst test-taking experience? So for some of you, it may, you know, bad memories, okay? That's okay, just think about it for a second. Your very worst test-taking experience, maybe when it it was uh, in elementary school, maybe it was in junior high. Maybe it was in high school or in college, or maybe uh, after that, your very worst test-taking experience. I hope and pray that you haven't had many of them, but if you're like most of us, you've had at least one, and uh, I know for sure I've had at least one. Uh, I recall probably my worst test-taking experience was in uh, uh, high school. It was my senior year, and I was taking AP Calculus. That was my first mistake, taking AP Calculus, okay? Um, Math, I'm okay at math, but that was a real challenging class for me. And I uh, really wanted to get college credit. So I took AP calculus my senior year. And of course, you know what happens, I think, uh, with AP. You go through the school year and then you take the test. And if you take this test at the end of the year and if you score, I think it was like a four or a five, uh, then you get college credit. If you get a three or below, then you don't. So big test, big deal. And I remember pretty vividly walking into uh, the test taking center. being ready with my, uh, my pencils all, sh- all sharpened, right, and my eraser is ready to go. Got my thinking cap on, so my mom would tell me, get my thinking cap on, and ready to go and save her some money, right? Ready to go and save my parents some money. And I walk in, and I, I, I begin the test, right? And I look at the first problem, and I'm like, I'm not quite understanding what that is. So I move on to the next question, and I look at it, and I don't understand what it's asking for as well. And I see a, pr- a pattern emerging here that I'm looking at the questions. And not only do I not know how to do them, I don't even know what they're asking for. I'm like, these are things that I haven't even seen in my AP calculus test, right? And so, you know, you start to sweat a little bit. And you start to look a little nervous. I'm like, is it hot in here, you know? And, and, and if you know me, I get, I get real nervous. And I kind of have this complex about... Being perfect and like always doing well and first child syndrome, right? Gotta do well, gotta do well. And I start to have a little mini panic attack in the room. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta you know, shut my eyes. So I shut my eyes and breathe, breathe, right? And go back to the next problem. And finally, there's one I understand. And I, and I start to work through the test. Um, but it was kind of a rough test. It was, it was very uh, bad. And in the end, you wanna take a guess at what I got? It was a three. I got a three on my AP Calculus test, which is right on the verge, right? If I answered a few more right, then I would have gotten college credit. Um, that is my worst test-taking take taking experience. I don't know about yours, but the point of talking about tests is that, number one, most of us don't like taking them, right? I don't know if I were to take a poll here, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you, hey, how many of you guys just love taking tests, Right? probably not many people would raise their hands. Uh, tests are oftentimes difficult. Uh, they test the content of what we know. And as my mom, who is a high school math teacher, yes, a high school math teacher, and I still didn't pass the test, as my mom, the high school math teacher, would al- often tell me, Trey, tests help you know where you stand. When you take a test, Trey, you, it, you, you know where you stand with the material, right? You know if you get it or if you need more help. You know if you're doing well and achieving or if you're... Lacking in something. Tests help you know where you stand. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of 1 John, where we see several tests, several tests in the book of 1 John as we close our sermon, New Year, New Love. Looking at the book of John and test uh, the, the the idea of tests or test statements runs throughout the book of John. In fact, we're going to see four of them that repeatedly show up in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at one of them. So before we jump into First John, I want to give you a, just a bit of a, a context. I want to give you the skinny on what's happening in the book of First John. John is, of course, John the Apostle, one of the big three, right? He was in the inner circle with Jesus. Uh, he is writing uh, from the city of Ephesus, most likely, uh, most likely in his latter years. So think of an old uh, godly man with a stylus in hand writing a letter to a church uh, whom we don't know exactly where it was going, but we get the idea that he was familiar with them. He's writing to a church. Maybe it's even his own church. He's writing to a church that he is very familiar with, and he's very familiar with the circumstances that uh, are happening in that church. He writes to a church in crisis. He writes to a church that's in crisis as a substantial part of the local church had withdrawn from the body, left the body. It was a church split, falling prey to false teachers that had arisen from within the body. So false teachers arose from the body and led a group to leave the local church over doctrinal issues. To make matters worse, these defectors, we'll call them, were seeking to bring other people with them, propagating their own heretical beliefs. The Apostle John writes to this church both to reassure them uh, of their faith and to unmask the errors, to unmask the heresy of those who had left this church. And it's obvious that this schism had caused uh, quite a bit of angst Uh, with those who remained, right? There were those who were faithful who remained in the church, but they had lots of questions. They were unnerved by this large group of people leaving them. And so John writes to them. And we see the purpose statement of this letter in five thirteen. First 1 John 5.13. Near the end of the letter, John says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, right, here's the reason, John says, here's the reason why I have written you this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that so that you may know that you have eternal life. So why does John write to the Christians who remain in this church that are upset, they're frustrated. They have questions. Why does he write to them? He clearly writes to them with the aim of assuring them that they do indeed possess eternal life. So how does he do that? How does he give these Christians assurance that you're on the right side and they are on the wrong side? You really do belong to Christ. How does he do that? Well, he does so with a series of tests, a series of tests. I would suggest to you that there are four main tests that John gives those that he writes to assure them that they are genuine believers and not false believers. So let's take a look quickly at these four tests which culminates in the one we'll we'll look at. One of the features of John's letter, it's striking. You can't read John's letter without recognizing this. One of the striking features of uh, the letter of 1 John is that it is unambiguous, right? It lacks no ambiguity. John pulls no punches, right? He doesn't color with the color gray. He's black and white. He's cut and dry. It's true or false. You're a Christian or you're not a Christian. You're dead or you're alive. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell, right? You're inside the church or you're outside the church. John is just as plain as you can be and that's why I love John. He tells it like it is. There is no ambiguity. Uh, this week I ran ac- across a list of uh, several uh, authentic, real uh, newspaper headlines. You know, I don't know if you still read the newspaper, but well, we get the assistant paper, of course, right? Newspaper headlines, right? Uh, things that are coming out of date these days that kind of leave you scratching your head. They're kind of ambiguous and, and mostly humorous. So I'll read a few uh, to you and hopefully you can get the humor in them. Uh, one headline read this way. Red tape holds up new bridge. Get it? Hospitals are sued by seven-foot doctors. Tall doctors? Or are they doctors to the feet, right? How about this one? Old school pillars are replaced by alumni. Did they give the money? Or were they holding it up, right? Get it? It's ambiguous. How about this one? Grandmother of eight... Makes whole in one. Now, was she just an angry grandmother? Or did she go golfing that day, right? (laughs) I I really like this one. Milk drinkers are turning to powder. Are they going to powdered milk? Or are they literally turning to powder? How about this one? Iraqi head seeks arms. So is there a missing head in Iraq who's missing their arms? Well, probably not. How about this one? Lack of brains. Hinders research. So is it stupid people doing research or are there no physical brains, right? And here's my favorite one. Forgive me. I hope it's not too, too crude. This is real. Astronaut takes blame for gas in spacecraft. What kind of gas was he taking the blame for? That's what I have to ask. Okay, so those are kind of ambiguous statements, right? But when we see the statements that we're going to see this morning, there is no ambiguity. They are clear, right? These are clear statements that should either give assurance of eternal life to the faithful or uncertainty to the unfaithful, depending upon whether or not they, they Pass or fail the test. So four test statements. The first test that we see in uh, 1 John is the test of belief. The test of belief or orthodoxy as it relates to Jesus. So John wants to know, what do you think of Jesus? Take, for instance, John 4, 2 through 3. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. We see these kind of statements all throughout this letter. The heretics got Jesus wrong. The faithful get Jesus right. The second test is not only what they think about Jesus, but how they relate to the world. Take, for instance, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. John writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the pride of life, excuse me, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So, how does the person relate to the world? Are they friends with the world? Do they love the world? Are they a part of the world? The third test is the test of how they treat sin, how they treat pursuing God's commands. Notice chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a what? Is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So how we pursue fighting sin. What do you think the fourth test is, right? We have the test of orthodoxy about Jesus, how we relate to the world, how we treat sin. What do you think the fourth test that John is going to give throughout his letter is? Well, our sermon series is about love. And so you guessed it, that's right. How we love our brother or sister in the faith. That's the fourth test of John. So let's focus on three sections in the gospel, uh, uh, this little letter of John, that I think show us three tests of love, three tests of love. When I was in middle school, uh, I remember uh, often the girls in our class would bring these magazines to school. I don't know how they got away with it, but they would bring these magazines to school, maybe like People magazine or, I don't know, these girly girl magazines, right? And they would read them and flip through them, maybe in study hall. And uh, one of their favorite things to do was to take what they called love tests, right? 50 love tests. So they were questions that I suppose were to help them know whether they truly loved their boyfriend, right? I, I don't even know what they were. They were so silly and ridiculous. But, um, so if you're taking one, I'm sorry, sorry, you know, no offense. But silly and ridiculous. They take these, Well, I and, and at the end, I got a 36. That means my boyfriend and I are going to get married. I don't know. But silly love test, right? So they were testing their love for their boyfriend. What John is doing in these statements is he's giving us a a sort of love test. Not a test of love for a boy or a girl or a man or a woman, but to test our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. John wants to give us these tests to know if we love them or not. And the first test is that of what I'll call genuine love. Genuine love, authentic love. Love. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The test of genuineness. John says, Anyone, notice he's, he's kind of talking to his detractors, those who had left. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister, lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's take a look at these verses here. Notice in verse 9, the lack of consistency, right? Notice the lack of consistency between this person's claim and their reality. What do they claim? Well, according to John, they claim to be in the light. What does that mean? It means they claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But what is the, the reality of their lives? In reality, their actions speak louder than their words because this person, John says, in reality, hates their brothers and their sisters. And by hate, he simply means they're failing to love. They don't love their brothers or sisters. So there's an inconsistency here. They say, I'm a Christian. But they don't treat their brother and sister with love. They say, I'm a follower of Christ. But in reality, they're in the darkness. They say, I'm in the light. But in reality, they're in the dark. Because they aren't loving their brothers and sisters. And it's evidence that they're still in the dark, right? Still in the darkness. Notice verses 10 and 11. 10 and 11. If anyone loves their brother and sister, excuse me, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, that is, Their love for their fellow Christians demonstrates the reality of their salvation. He says there's nothing in them to make them stumble. And by that, I I think he means that our love for our brothers and sisters won't do them harm. We won't abandon them as these deserters had done. But notice, he returns back to verse 11, to the person who's still in the dark, right? Returning to the one who's still in the darkness, and he says this, They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John says that not only are they in the dark, that is, they are spiritually dead. They are not Christians, right? Not only are they in the dark but they're blind to the fact that they're in the dark, right? They don't know where they're going. They're blinded to the reality of their own lostness. And the picture that John paints is that they're like a, a person a walking at nighttime, stumbling around. They don't know where they're going. Uh, oftentimes, I find myself walking through the household at night, usually due to crying or screaming children. And so they scream and cry. And so, parents, you know, right? You're up at night, and it's dark. At least our house is dark. And I think that I'm in the light. I think I know where things are. I think I know there's a chair here, and there's a lamp there, and this is where the table is. But inevitably, what happens? I'm walking, and oh, I hit my toe, and oh man, I hit the chair. You know, I think I know where I'm going, but I actually, I don't. I'm, I'm really in the dark. Friends, that is true. That same thing is true for the person who claims to know Christ but doesn't love Christ's brothers and sisters. They think that they're in the dark, but in reality, uh, they think they're in the light. But in reality, they are in the dark. And so we have to ask ourselves, could this possibly describe us? Might we be a person who claims to be in the light, but in reality is still in the dark? And so we should begin to examine our own love or lack thereof for those in the church. And we may say, well, I don't hate anyone. John says you have to hate. I don't hate anyone. But John will reply, yes, you do. If you consistently fail to feel the emotions of love and demonstrate the expressions of love to those in the local church. And so first, the first test that John gives us, right? You want to know if you're a Christian or not, is do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you claiming to be in the light, but in reality, you're simply in the dark? That's the first test, the test of genuine love. But there's another, and it's also in chapter 2. It is the test of loyalty. The test of loyalty. Notice verses 18 and 19. John continues, and this is really one big section. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Boy, do you see the strong language that John uses here. In verse 18, John tells his flock that they are living in the last days. And it's true for us too. The the final season of history before Christ's return, they were living in it, we are living in it. He says, dear children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, as I've told you before, there is a man called the Antichrist. And he is coming. But then he says something that must have been startling. But even now, even now, many Antichrists, notice the plural, many Antichrists have Come. What is John saying? This is what John is saying. He means that the group of people who had left the faithful Christian community, to which he writes, are a foreshadowing of the future Antichrist, who will mimic Jesus, but not be Jesus, right? In the same way, these people mimicked being a Christian, but they weren't Christians at all, right? He calls them Antichrists. Because they failed to love their brothers and sisters. And how did they fail to love their brothers and sisters? They weren't loyal to them. They left the faithful Christian community. John here says that their withdrawal from a biblical church is evidence that they were never really part of the church, the big C church, in the first place. They were never Christians, right? Here we see the apostasy of professing but false believers as evidence of their lack of salvation. John says it in no uncertain terms, right? He says that a person who truly loves other Christians will evidence that love by remaining faithful to the Bible-believing, gospel-preaching local church filled with Christians and thus demonstrate their love for their brothers and sisters. It is a test of loyalty. So friends, let me be clear here, because I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not talking about somebody leaving one evangelical church for another, right? Not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who begins in a local Bible-believing church and then leaves it for good. They reject the church's clear teaching of the Scripture in one area or another. So why had, these, why had this group left? Why did these people leave? Because they rejected the clear biblical teaching about Jesus, that he was the Son of God, and that he came fully in flesh, and that he was the Savior and Lord. They had rejected that, and so they left. They didn't like what the local church, John's, most likely John's local church, was teaching about Jesus. and So they, they left. They were not loyal. They left for good, right? Friends, this happens still today, doesn't it? It still happens today. People leave a local church because they don't like the local church saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and that he's the only way to salvation. You have to place your faith and your trust in him and in him alone. There's no other way of salvation. There's no other way to eternity. They don't like that. People don't like that and so they leave. Some people don't like a local church teaching biblical ethics on sexuality and so they leave. Brothers and sisters, hear what John is saying. Fidelity to a faithful, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching local church, shows fidelity to Christ himself, whose bride the local church is. So we should ask ourselves and examine about our own fidelity to the local church and what it means to our fidelity to Christ. I ran across a a great story that I want to share with you. There is a story, a true story, as, as what it claims, and I'm sure it is, about a man who is celebrating his 100th birthday, Uh, a man who had lived a 100 years, and he had been a longtime member of his local church. And so they were celebrating uh, having a birthday party in the church with uh, all of the trimmings, cakes, and decorations, and ice cream, and all sorts of cards, and all of his friends. It was a huge gathering, and all sorts of people were there. And his great-grandson called his grandfather up to the front of the church. They all moved in the sanctuary, probably just like this, and he called his grandfather to come up to the to the stage, to the pulpit, and he said, Grandfather, I want to ask you a question. So he said to this 100-year-old faithful Christian, uh, I want to ask you, great-grandpa, we all know about your health issues. We all, we all know that you can barely hear. Apparently, he couldn't hear. We all know that you can't see very well. Apparently, he couldn't see very well. So tell us, grandfather, tell us, why do you still go to church every Sunday. And his response was simply this. Because I love Jesus with all of my heart, he commanded me to be here, and I want to show everybody whose side I'm on. Whose side I'm on. That's what John is saying. He's saying fidelity to a group of Christians shows whose side you are on. So the test of loyalty. Let's move on in first John into chapter three. Because there in chapter 3, starting in verse 10 and running through verse 18, we see a third test, a third love test. And it is the test of love in action. Love in action. He begins the section with another cut and dry statement about what differentiates Christians from non-Christians. Verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Okay, let's pause. That's as clear as it can be, right? John, tell us, how do we know who a Christian is? He says, let me tell you if you belong to God or you belong to Satan. Let me show you who you look like, right? Here he says, ready? He gives two things. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Notice, there were four tests, generally speaking, right? of John. The test of what you think about Jesus. The test about how you relate to the world. And what was the third test, remember? The test about how you relate to sin and pursuing God's commands. And then there's a fourth test. It's the test of love. What is John doing here in this verse? He's putting the, the last two together, right? It's test three and test four, and he puts them together. He says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Now what John is going to do next is he's going to flesh out what he means by somebody who does not love their brother or sister. And then he's going to flesh out what he means by somebody who does love their brother or sister. What does it look like? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. And he uses the example from the Old Testament of the man whose name is Cain. Remember Cain? He's famously paired with whom? Abel, right? Cain and Abel. Notice what he says in verses 11 through 15. For this is the measure, excuse me, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life— because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Quite a bit there, but this is what John is doing. John is saying, listen, this is what it looks like to not love your brother. It's having the attitude of hate that leads to the actions of Uh, of harm. It's having an attitude of hatred that leads to actions that are harmful, right? That's what Cain did. What does it look like then to love our brothers? Well, I'm glad you asked because John tells us in verses 16 through 18, and of course he uses the the best example of all, the example of Jesus, verse 16. This is how we know what love is, right? How do we know what it looks like to love John? Let me tell you. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, well what should we do about that? And we ought to lay down our own lives for our brothers and sisters. Well what, what, what might that look like, John, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with what? Actions, but with actions and in truth. So here is what John is saying, right? It's having the attitude of love that leads to actions of help, right? That's, what, that's how we know. We love people, and so we actually do something about it. It's tangible. A group of uh, young children, four- to eight-year-olds, were once asked a simple question. At least it seems simple on the outside. What does it mean to love? What does love mean? Here are some of their answers. Uh, one of them, Rebecca, age eight, says this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. She says, that's love. Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. I agree with Chrissy. That is love. Chris, age seven. Love is when mommy sees daddy, smelly and sweaty, and still says he's handsomer than Brad Pitt. That indeed is love, is it not? These kids are right, right? John is, John is right. Love is not merely in word, but it's in actions. And so we've seen a, a, a final test, and that is love put into action. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I just say that I love my brothers and sisters, or I'm actually doing something for them? What have I done for these people Lately, to demonstrate my love for them. So, we've seen a series of tests, right? Four of them throughout the whole book. What we think and believe about Jesus, how we relate to the world, how we treat sin, how we pursue obeying God. And of course, the fourth we've focused on the the test of love. That is the test of genuine love. The test of genuine love, the test of loyalty to the local church. In the test of love in action. And so, I don't know if you know it, but you just had a test. You just took a test. I walked into the room and I took that calculus test and I began to get nervous and sweaty. And I failed it. I failed the test. Friends, we just took a test from the Bible. A test of love. A test of genuine love. A test of loyalty. A test of love in action. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did we do? Did we pass the test? Or did we fail it? Did we pass it? Do we have our faith assured? Can we say, yes, these give me assurance that I'm a believer? Or or no, maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe I need to examine my relationship with God through faith in Christ. Friends, I pray that you pass the test, that you pass it in spades, and that if you realize that you fail it, that you would come to the source of forgiveness and life, the only source of love, Jesus Christ, placing your faith in him and in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins to have eternal life so that you may be filled with the love of God and you can pass these tests. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us as we search our own hearts. This word, your word, has given us much to ponder and much to examine. Father, I pray as we look in our own hearts and lives that we would see that we pass each of these tests, that we would profess and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, and that we place our faith in nothing else, that there is nothing else that we trust in at the gates of heaven to get us in other than what Christ has done. Father, I pray that we would pass the test of how we relate to the world, that we would not love the world, or anything in it. But we would love you and your kingdom. That we would treat sin as serious. That we wouldn't simply say that we follow you but not seek to obey you. But that we would, with all of our heart, through your grace and help and indwelling Holy Spirit, pursue obedience. And Father, that we would love our brothers and sisters. We would love them with a genuine love. We would love them with a loyal love. And that we would love them not only in word or merely in word, but in action, and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Guys, we'll see you next week, but not in here. See you at the high school gym.